please stand if you're able for a reading from God's holy word. Today's scripture reading is from Exodus 20, verse 7. Please read the verse with me. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. morning. <clears throat> My name is Daniel, one of the pastors here. So thankful that we can still do this under the tent. It's a little breezy uh, this morning, but uh, just the opportunity to gather. Um, so thankful that we get to do it uh, rather than be, um, yeah, I mean, just I think the, the reasons to gather together are, are so important. Even with motorcycles passing by, uh, we are in the third week of a 10-week sermon series uh, in the Ten Commandments that we're calling 10 Words to Live By. Uh, Brad mentioned last week, it's the same title of a book written by Jen Wilkin, a book that I would highly, highly recommend. Uh, it's a great read, and she makes the Ten Commandments uh, so easy to understand and apply, uh, and I would recommend it highly. Uh, we are in the third week, as I mentioned. The first uh, week, we looked at... Uh, the, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, last week, Brad preached on this uh, idea of making idols or creating idols uh, in place of God or an image of God. Um, and this morning, which brings us to the third commandment, you shall not take God's name in vain. Now, this might be one of the, in my opinion, the easiest commandments to obey. Maybe next to uh, do not murder. And maybe just that. But when you think about it, the other ones are way more difficult to follow perfectly. Do not lie. Honor your parents. Do not covet. Those don't seem so easy. Those actually sound very difficult. But this one, do not take the Lord's name in vain, seems like a piece of cake. I almost gave the title, Easiest Commandment to Obey, before I changed my mind. Again, if you think about it, when you swear, just don't include God's name. Easy. I think I'm done with my sermon. Not much more to say. Well, if I can give you a three-point application, it might be watch what you say, don't swear, and be careful with your OMGs. Actually, on second thought, it's not that easy. It may be more difficult than we think. This third commandment seems more like a, and again, as we read through it, it seems more like a good reminder than a commandment. A good moral code, like do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. Treat others how they want to be treated, and they'll treat you the way you want to be treated. And it almost sounds like that. A good saying. 
It seems like that when we read this third word, a good code of conduct, to be the better you, or a New Year's resolution to watch what we say or how we say it, but when you read through Jen Wilkins' book, Ten Words to Live By, she says, as we have seen with the first two words, the third points, to, uh, points us beyond the bare minimum, the bare minimum obedience to abundant life. She says, if all that was at stake was literal name usage, we could check off compliance with the third word by applying minor self-control. In other words, there's more to it than just watching what we say. It has more to do than just mere behavior modification or an adjustment in our speech. And so as we look at this commandment, again, we have to look at what's the prohibition? Why is God telling us not to use his name in vain? What's the commandment? Let me read it again. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The message version of this exact same verse, Eugene Peterson translates, he says, No, using the name of God, your God, in curses or silly banter, God won't put up with the irreverent use of his name. As we read through the third commandment, I'm sure we're wondering and have a few questions concerning the name of God. Number one, what's so significant about the name of God? And number two, what does it mean to misuse the name of God or to take his name in vain? Well, you may remember uh, Romeo and Juliet, right? The Shakespearean play. Uh, in this play are found one of the most well-known scenes in all of drama. Oh, Romeo, oh, Romeo, wherefore art thou, oh, Romeo? When Juliet asks this question, she wasn't asking for the whereabouts of her lover, but a much deeper question as to his identity, about his name, and so Juliet continues, deny thy father and refuse thy name, or if thou wilt but be but sworn my love, and I'll no longer be a Capulet. Right? Remember those uh, words from that very famous uh, Romeo and Juliet Shakespearean play, the Montagues and the Capulets. In other words, Juliet says, deny your name, and if you will not, because of my love for you, I will change mine. Tis but thy name that is my enemy. Thou art thyself, though not a Montague. What's a Montague? Tis not hand, nor foot, nor arm, nor face, nor any other part belonging to a man. Oh, be some other name. What's in a name that which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So Romeo would, were he not Romeo called, retain that dear perfection which he owes. Without that title, Romeo, doff thy name and for that, that name, which is not part of thee, take all myself. As Romeo and Juliet find names cannot be easily discarded. What's in a name? It's more than what we might think. Name-giving in the Old Testament was much different than our practices today. I think we name our kids. 
I, I think I did because they're, they sound cute. You see, in the Old Testament, names signified something. Names stood for you. Names stood for your character. It was a description of who you were. It revealed you. The giving of names in the Old Testament was serious business because it was about creating an identity for my children. It was about creating a destiny for my children. There are some interesting names in the Old Testament. Think about Abram, exalted father, and God changes his name to Abraham, father of the multitudes. Or you may remember Jacob, the supplanter, the one who who reaches out on the, the heels of his older brother and underhandedly uses methods to get what he wants. And you know that later on, God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. Or what about Nabal? If you're ever thinking about uh, children naming, don't name your children Nabal. <laughs> it's the husband of Abigail whose name means fool. If these Old Testament names had so much meaning and significance, think about the gravity and the weight of the name of God. If you look at the text, again, if you look at uh, your own versions of a scripture that you have in your hand, you might uh, look at those words in capital letters, L-O-R-D. In the Hebrew, Yahweh was this divine name, this revealed name of God, and for many strict Jews... The name of God was so sacred that it was unspeakable. That word appears more than 6,300 times in the, in the Bible. Scholars disagree on the exact pronunciation of this name. Some will say that there are 30 different pronunciations of this particular word. And when reading the sacred word, they would instead of pronouncing Yahweh, would say the words Adonai every time they came across that word. So how sacred is his name? Some scribes took the commandment so seriously that every time they came across this word, they would throw away that old pen, wash their hands, write God's name with a new pen, throw that one, a, that, throw, throw that one away, and start all over again with a new one 6,300 times. If you remember back to the book of Exodus, uh, in the earlier parts of Exodus chapter 3, we were there in the fall. Again, I believe it's mentioned again uh, now in the Ten Commandments. And it's this name revealing that God has with Moses. And when Moses asked, uh, who shall I say sent me to you? God answers back and tells them in the third person singular, tell them he is. Tell them Yahweh has sent me to you. And it's significant as God reveals his personal name to his people, the name given as an indication of the intimacy that God has with those who are his. And this is the name by which Israel, the saved or redeemed people of God, his treasured people, his holy possession, would know him. It's God's salvation name. And so it must be treated with utmost respect. In Exodus 3, 8, we see the twofold purpose of God in, in, these, uh, in, these ver in this verse. He, uh, it reads, So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up 
out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And because of the significant encounter that God has with Moses, we understand now why there is a prohibition of the misuse of God's name. Now let me get a little personal and let me try to illustrate. Recently there was a there's been a growing list of internet memes. I'm not sure if you're into that. I am. Internet memes poking fun at real life stereotypes. Not sure if you follow inconsequential, unimportant, petty things like this. I think during the early part of the pandemic, uh, the pandemic shut-ins, I was scrolling through Facebook quite often uh, and reading about real-life stereotypes. Now, again, I'm not sure if you know or not, or if you're in the know or not, but there are the Kyles, there's the Beckys, there's the Chads, Their shorthand for an embodiment of this or that kind of person. Now, if you don't know what those are, it's good for you. Uh, don't Google it. <laughs> or Google it when you get home. However, in 2020, the name Karen was the queen of them all. So let me ask you, what is a Karen? For those of you who aren't up to date with the current internet memes, the name Karen has become associated with a certain type of middle-aged, and again, this is not my definition. I found this on the internet. <laughs> a middle-aged white woman who's likely to throw a fit if she doesn't get her own way. Please forgive me. I'm only describing and using the words of the World Wide Web on a description for, and I typed in, what is a Karen? They're always asking for the manager. Well, she has a certain look, and just so I don't offend anyone, I will not describe what that look is. I don't really want to offend anyone who might fit that particular description. But there are hundreds of thousands of memes out there of Karens, and there was a commercial, if you remember, in the Super Bowl, if you watched it, just a couple of months ago, uh, a commercial sets out to prove that M&Ms, the candy, can improve any awkward situation. Covering encounters like an airplane, airplane seat pushing or baby gender reveals gone wrong, uh, simply hand them a bag of M&Ms and it'll make everything better. And then there's this exchange between two women in an apartment lobby. She says, sorry, I called you Karen. One of them says, handing the other bag of M uh, handing the other one a bag of M&Ms, and she says, "That's my name." <laughs> to which the woman says, "Sorry, your name is Karen," and hands her another bag. <laughs> it's funny. I get it. A friend of mine posted this on Facebook recently, uh, just about a month and a half ago. He says, "As a father to a daughter that my wife and I named Karen." I'm going to take a stand against Karen being the term du jour for clueless, entitled females. Just reading somebody else's words. All people that I know who are named Karen are intelligent and caring. 
They do not deserve a negative connotation associated with their name, which they probably did not choose, but was chosen for them by their parents when they came into the world. Yes, the memes can be funny or the video can be outrageous for a few minutes, but at the end of the day, calling them Karen for a lack of a better term slanders people you don't even know, but are loved by their own family and friends and ultimately loved by God. If you got time to scroll through Facebook reading and watching Karen stories and videos, you have time to come up with a better term for those kinds of people. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. <laughs> My wife's name, too, is Karen. When I hear the name Karen, I think beautiful, she's kind and she's generous, she has a big heart, she cares about her family deeply, she's sacrificial, she's high energy, she's the life of the party, she has an extremely sharp sense of humor, she's quick. And so if you call her by a name, she will get you right back. And she's loving. And if you're about to gag because of the niceties I'm sharing with you about my bride, I will stop. But I can keep going for another 10 minutes. Here's my point. In the ancient Near East, the giving of a name was deeply significant. A name carried a sense of a person's character. And when we misuse someone's name, we essentially smear that person's character. And when we misuse or defame or take the Lord's name in vain, we are essentially making an attack on their character or their reputation. And so the question is, when we use the words, when we use the names like, like God or Jesus, spoken from our lips, what do they hear? Names are precious, which is why we don't like our own name ridiculed or twisted or made fun of. Funny nicknames given to us is one thing. The irreverent use of God's name is another. And everywhere in Scripture, the name of, of God is exalted in the highest possible terms. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm chapter 8, verse 1, the psalmist declares the beautiful name of God. And these four commandments, the first four in the Ten Commandments that we're looking at, deal with our worship. They deal with what we think of God. They deal with how we treat God. And worship deals with what we think about his character and what we think about his nature and play with what this means in, in our life. If the first commandment dealt with the object of our worship and the second the means of our worship, this, this third commandment deals with our verbal worship of God. What we say about God. In James chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, 
James write these words. He says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. There's something about the significance of God's name, the gravity, the gravitas of, of God's name, the weight of God's name, that there's a power in that name when we call upon it. There is a power in that name that saves anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. There is a safe refuge for those who are in danger or in trouble. And they can call on the name of the Lord. They can run to that tower of that wonderful name and find shelter in its structure. So the question is, how do we misuse it? This is probably the bigger question, maybe the biggest question. One commentary, Durham says in his commentary on Exodus, on the violation of the third commandment, he says this, the third commandment is directed not towards Yahweh's protection, but Israel's. And so God has given us this prohibition. God has given us this warning, and it's saying it's not for my name's sake. It is not for the protection of my name. It is for yours. Yahweh's name must be honored and blessed and, and praised and celebrated and invoked and, and pronounced and, and shared. And to treat Yahweh's name with disrespect is to treat his, light, uh, his gift lightly and to undermine his power, to scorn his presence, and to misrepresent to the family of humankind his very nature as the one who has always been, the one who has existed from eternity past and will be there through eternity future. Mike Erie, one pastor, he says this. He defines the misusing of God's name this way. It's the attaching of his name to anything that is empty, anything that is false, anything that is insincere, or anything that is trivial. It's not only in the swearing, it's when we don't recognize the weight of his name, when we profane it, we are misusing it. The word profane basically means taking it from the temple. We take it from the realm of the sacred to the realm of the common. We take his name to be petty or insignificant when we attach the awesome name of God and attach it to trivial things. You see, in his name has meaning and character and essence and personality. It's God's covenant name. It's his salvific name. It's the name revealed of his majestic work and the redemption of his people. Another pastor, and I apologize if this hits too close to home and if it becomes too personal, and I, I think it is sometimes when we read through the scriptures. It's not just a, it's a good principle. Or it's a good thing to live by when I, when I remember to do it. One pastor says this, The vain or empty purposes to which God's name may be put are, number one, to confirm something that is false or untrue. Number two, to fill in the gaps in our speeches 
or our prayers. Number three, to express mild surprise. Number four, to use that name when no clear goal or purpose or reason for its use is in mind, whether it be in a prayer, in a religious context, or absent-mindedly invoking as table grace, when no real heart, thankfulness, or purpose is involved. When God's name is used lightly, what will we do in times of great distress? Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. We do it every day. The fact is, God is not so interested in our words as in our worship. And sometimes the two are the same. Because you and I know when we read through the Psalms and when we read through the book of James or when we read through uh, Jesus' preaching, we know how telling the heart is by the tongue. It reveals what's deeply inside. It reveals how we view God. Because if, you, if our view of God is small, then the way we treat God will also be small. Just think about the president. Now, I don't mean to play political favorites, but as you think about the president, whoever that may be, Trump or, or Biden, and if you have a favor for one over the other, that's not my uh, judgment call that I'm making here. But think about uh, uh, what those words mean, what those names mean when you invoke them. I mean, if you had a high view of the president, you might call him Mr. President. And the same thing is true of God. If our view of God is small, then the way we speak about God will also be petty. And just like the first two, this one too begs the question, I think of us, what is our view of God? What is our perspective of, of the nature and the character of God? How do we see him? What kind of a person is he? Now, I don't mean to get uh, so technical because I think we can get caught up in the technicality of how to apply this particular commandment. You and I both know what it means and what it looks like to think small of God and to treat his name with the same pettiness as we do a president we dislike. But we do it all the time. I do it all the time. But the good news of the Ten Commandments, knowing full well that we could not keep them perfectly, and I will go back and, and let you know that it, this is no longer the easiest commandment to follow. 
Because it's not always what you say, it's about what's in your heart, and that's harder to control. Friends, behind every thou shalt not. And each of the Ten Commandments has a thou shalt not. Don't make any idols. Don't have any other gods. Don't misrepresent God by the names we give him. There is a thou shalt. If you want a simple summary of the Third Commandment, a new commandment exhortation, Putting in positive language all that is required of us, here it is, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We obey the third commandments by living as, as followers of Jesus, by speaking and doing everything according to that family name. For when we do all that we do, and we do it in Christ, for Christ, and through Christ, we show that his name we value, the name we love, the name that is above every name, that when you mention the name of God, that it would, it would invoke in you these feelings and thoughts of, of gratitude, the thoughts of, of grace and mercy flooding your soul. The first petition of the Lord's Prayer, because I think Jesus was thinking about the Ten Commandments, he says, hallowed be your name. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray like this, our Father in heaven, holy, hallowed, set apart, distinguished, significant is your name. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Paul assured the Romans that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the culminating event in all of creation is when at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the Bible does not want us to forget the holy importance of this divine name of Jesus. That when you invoke his name, that when you say, Jesus, I trust in your name. I believe your name. It means he saves. That when I call on your name and I, and I believe that you saved me and you rescued me and I believe that name. Again, Jesus literally means he saves that you saved me.